Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Can I get an introduction by yourself? Sure. Yep. So my name is Gary West and I'm one of the four pharmacist professional officers at PDL uh, and we're here to uh, be available 24-7 for PDL members uh, to assist them with um, incidents, incident management and advice and, and general guidance in regards to risk and, um, and also indemnity insurance. Brilliant. I thought I'd ask you about what your thoughts are about some of the risks and challenges for pharmacists when incorporating the changes such as the 60-day dispensing. Sure. And so from our perspective, uh, while we don't necessarily uh, take the same sort of representative views as um, the, the Pharmacy Guild, the PSA and the SHPA, we obviously have concerns uh, about these proposed changes. Uh, from our perspective, there's probably the, the two main areas that might impact pharmacists who are PDL members. Uh, and one is based on the experience we've had during and after COVID, uh, and particularly with um, uh, supply issues involving Ozempic and other drugs, where there has been uh, a huge demand, a lot of pressure, and sometimes threats and aggression um, directed towards pharmacists uh, when patients are seeking these medicines and they haven't been able to, the pharmacists haven't been able to satisfy those requests. We recognise that pharmacists are in a very challenging position with all the stock shortages and supply issues at the moment and we are concerned that these proposed changes may exacerbate these stock shortages uh, and the impact uh, is obvious for the patients and I know like Faye Sim has spoken just recently with you about the potential impact for patients. We also uh, are more focused on impact um, uh, for pharmacists uh, particularly in regards to actions that lead to regulatory complaint and that we know that uh, based on past scenarios, stock shortages uh, and difficulties supplying people's um, demands leads to dissatisfaction, sometimes aggression and threat, and unfortunately sometimes also complaint to regulatory agencies. And we're quite concerned about that. There's obviously the, the psychological impact that has on the individuals and, and also colleagues and, and employers um, as well, and pharmacists have done an astounding job in the last couple of years supporting the profession and, you know, all the vaccinations, you know, continuing to work through the COVID crisis. Uh, we understand that they're, they're quite exhausted and frustrated uh, and the, sometimes the aberrant behaviour of the public really uh, is, is unfortunate and cre creates not only um, frustration and dissatisfaction with the profession, but also can have an impact on their day-to-day -day practice. So I suppose this, the shortages uh, can, in our view, potentially have some impact for pharmacists that we're worried about. Um, I suppose the other area uh, is in regards to errors uh, when uh, larger quantities are being supplied. Uh, and I have to always preface that 
that you know we obviously see uh, quite a lot of incident reports at PDL, given that we cover about 80% of the profession. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, proportionally, the number of incident reports relating to dispensing errors or supply errors is extremely small. Australian pharmacists are uh, phenomenal in, in the accuracy that they supply the vast majority of medicines to patients. However, there are times where errors unfortunately occur because we are human uh, and humans make mistakes sometimes. And when um, there's a larger quantity of an incorrect medicine being supplied or some sort of other error being made, perhaps with directions or labelling, uh, there is obviously a greater risk uh, of an adverse consequence for a patient. And so again, there is the potential for that to, um, to be more of a concern. And again, it impacts pharmacists if there's complaint or adverse um, outcome for patients. So I suppose they're the, the two broader areas of concern for us at PDL um, with our representation of pharmacists and not taking anything away from the impact for the patients and the public, um, but uh, we sort of are mindful of sticking to our remit and, and raising concerns in regards to risk uh, to pharmacists and mitigating that risk. Thank you. So do you have any advice for pharmacists about how they can prepare for 60-day dispensing or what considerations they should make? Sure. Yeah, I understand there's a lot of concern and a lot of anxiety out there in the profession at the moment, and uh, that is totally understandable. And I think as Faye Sim said in the recent podcast with you, uh, sometimes we have to wait a little bit until all the details come out. Um, Obviously, it looks like it's a done deal, but um, th that will be up to the organisations to to represent pharmacists and the profession there. And I concur with Faye that, uh, firstly, I hope that all pharmacists remain engaged in the profession and support the profession um, across the board to make these representations um, to the politicians and, and um, the bureaucrats. Um, in regards to preparing for this, if it does uh, ultimately eventuate as it seems to, uh, I think communication is going to be such an important aspect, um, not only for pharmacists, but for pharmacy staff. And we know um, that it gets very frustrating when you have to tell the, um, the same story to so many people. And again, borne out by the Ozempic and all these other supply issues where pharmacists um, do get a little bit weary and frustrated by having to explain the same thing again and again. And I think that needs to come down to preparation for those conversations so that all staff are consistent, that they're also empathetic towards the patients who may have not heard the story before, even though the staff might have said it, you know, a hundred times a day, uh, and that there are uh, a range of options uh, prepared for the patient. Um, sometimes that might be having to refer them elsewhere. Uh, that might be a matter of sort of uh, forming a bit of an alliance within pharmacies and a bit of um, um, you know, sort of awareness of who's got stock and who hasn't, and that will swing both ways. Also, um, just being mindful to try and prevent situations of stockpiling. Uh, that is, uh, unfortunately, maybe human nature for some people to, to start stockpiling medicines. And again, we'd be really reminding pharmacists to be very careful about that. There are expectations, professional practice expectations on us by the regulatory agencies uh, and the health departments about not allowing people to stockpile medicines, not only for financial reasons, but also for risk reasons where medicines may be discontinued and, and still held on hand. 
Um, so um, having discussions and training with the staff about preparing for those conversations, I think is is really, really important. Um, the other thing is um, that being mindful that when you're dispensing twice as much of any medicine, um, you know, there's there's twice as much risk for labelling errors, uh, selection errors, data entry errors. So um, all uh, dispensary staff and pharmacists and techs need to be extremely mindful about accuracy in those aspects um, that uh, every single item, you know, that's been labelled up needs to be scanned. We have quite a few examples of cases where patients are getting multiple packs already, you know, uh, could be insulins, um, it could be other products where they get two bottles or two packs at a time. Uh, and it's like Murphy's Law that they scan the label of one product uh, twice, um, but the other product is, is the wrong product. Again, that's of great concern with those products with corporate labelling. Uh, corporate packaging and so the blue bottles without mentioning any brand names but everybody knows the blue bottles we're talking about if some of those products are put on the wrong shelf in the pharmacy and two of those blue bottles are just grabbed from the shelf both labeled and only one of them is scanned with the assumption that the other one is right um, then there's a, a risk of an error so really ensuring that people understand that you know, barcode scanning is a, a a very simple and effective risk management tool. It's not perfect, but when you're supplying twice as much, you need to be scanning everything twice, not just uh, repeating the scan on the same label twice. Um, so those sorts of things, I think, need to be um, discussed beforehand. And so people are prepared for those conversations as well. Uh, it also means that when you're doing um, what we would call a risk assessment, but it would also be considered maybe uh, clinical decision-making, um, you, you're going to obviously have people that are not getting medication monthly, so the history is not going to be as easy to um, assess uh, and to consider. So there's also a risk in that area that um, the sort of double dispensing means that there's going to be uh, a need to check the history further and to make sure that there hasn't been um, either previous supply of, of a similar product or there's a contraindication or, a, or an interaction um, that is not as easily visible in the dispensing software because of the way it's, um, it's now just going to be displayed with the 60-day dispensing. So there are a couple of points that we think could be areas of concern that pharmacists need to be thinking about beforehand. Thank you. Um, I guess the, it's always nice to have a look at how pharmacy sits now currently. So what are some of the current workforce issues for pharmacists um, so that we can take a look at where we are to see where we might be going? Well, certainly we, we know that, you know, workforce issues are a big challenge at the moment. Getting pharmacists is really quite a challenge. Um, it's putting uh, pressure on the existing uh, workforce um, and also the dispensary technicians as well. Uh, and we know that any time where there's greater workloads, there's um, tiredness, um, distraction, uh, a greater degree of responsibility on an individual, that there is a risk of error is increased. Uh, and so, yet again, we would always encourage pharmacists to have good systems in place. It all comes back to having good processes, good protocols, good systems, so that they can focus their time when they're checking prescriptions. Uh, sometimes 
patients waiting for other discussions or counselling might need to wait a little bit longer. The ancillary staff need to understand they're there to support the pharmacist, but also not interrupt them. Um, and also uh, just recognising that it makes it very difficult to be checking a lot of prescriptions uh, consistently, uh, that sometimes you need to take breaks, you need to give yourself a, a bit of time away. And so good staffing um, um, procedures, making sure that you've got an opportunity for people to have a break as well so that they're not exhausted and, and likely to miss things. So staffing is a, a big issue. Um, we, we you know recognise that younger pharmacists are more likely to be frontline staff in dispensaries and in counselling areas and things like that. Uh, that is a, a challenge. It's great experience, but also it brings with it a lot of responsibility. Uh, and sometimes uh, we see that um, those younger pharmacists, perhaps if particularly if they're under pressure, may be a little bit um, more, uh, what's the word, sort of swayed or by patients that are aggressive or demanding, uh, and that can be a, a significant challenge. The other thing is sometimes those with a little less experience um, may just not be sort of thinking clinically the whole time and thinking about where the risk is. So slowing down sometimes, that might mean patients have to wait a little bit longer. I'd really always encourage pharmacists to make sure that their, their staff give patients accurate waiting times. There's no benefit in telling people something's going to be five minutes when you know it's going to be 15 and the person then gets upset and angry. You, you be honest with them and say, look, there's quite a volume ahead. There's going to be 20 minutes minimum. If that's inconvenient, you know, please leave the script and come back later. If you can't do that, well, maybe it's best that you consider elsewhere. The risk of making a mistake is greater and the consequences of a mistake, um, both in regards to complaint to a regulatory agency and possibly even a claim for compensation, really don't warrant, um, you know, rushing and pushing something through that you're not able to safely check. So I really encourage pharmacists to think about their workload, think about taking a break every now and then, having good staffing and rostering, uh, and also using the ancillary staff to make sure that they help uh, work with the pharmacist to, to ensure the safety for the patients and also reduce the risk of, of um, action against the pharmacist registration. Thank you. What are some of the incidents and errors that are commonly reported? So, like I said before, you know, when humans are involved, human errors happen, unfortunately, and, you know, we recognise that. Um, no pharmacist ever sets out to make a mistake or, or cause some sort of consequence for a patient. Um, um, still, dispensing errors are uh, the vast majority of the things that are being reported to us. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, it's still a very small proportion of all prescriptions that are dispensed across the country. Uh, of our dispensing error, our data, uh, we analyse our data that we get, we can uh, see that about a quarter, 25% of all those errors are due to a data entry error. So uh, uh, there's no barcode on the prescription or it's handwritten prescription. So there's manual data entry of the prescription details by a pharmacy technician um, or a pharmacist, and they're selecting the wrong drug or the wrong strength. We feel that this is a little bit more likely with the um, introduction of active ingredient prescribing, where they're using the molecule name, particularly when there's a combination of two or three or four molecules in the one product, um, or there's combinations of those molecules in similar sort of combinations with different strengths. So pharmacists need to be, and techs need to be really accurate with their data entry and try to find means to minimise the risk. So if there's three products, 
within a range like prednisolone. Maybe they, they type in, you know, PREDN or something like that, space five. And that in most dispensing software systems will discount the, the one milligram and 25 milligram. So utilizing those sort of um, uh, software shortcuts is really important. The other thing with uh, selecting the wrong product is that some pharmacists occasionally and techs uh, I think that they recognize the active and uh, the, the product as listed by active ingredient name. So they try to short circuit the system by just putting in the brand name for the drug and selecting the wrong product, particularly again, these combinations. We'd always encourage pharmacists to use the software that's available. It's, it's very reliable. Use the molecule name as prescribed and allow the system to substitute the generic equivalents and the stock that you, the brand that you have on hand. Uh, because sometimes, again, if you're tired, you're not concentrating, you're distracted, you might actually, um, through, through some sort of subconscious bias, select the wrong product. So just being really mindful about that. Um, the other thing I suppose we'd always just like to flag is that um, we are still seeing incidents where the wrong person is getting the wrong medicine, uh, either in the label or unfortunately um, um, the, the medicine being supplied via the pharmacist or via the pharmacy assistant. We can't stress enough the need for pharmacists and assistants to use open questions when supplying medicine. Instead of calling out a person's name and waiting for somebody to step forward, having some sort of open question where you ask the person to confirm their last name, to confirm their first name or to confirm their street name or to confirm their date of birth. But you know, if you start out with a question such as, please confirm to me, what is your last name? You're actually forcing people to respond in a way that should mitigate that risk. The other area where we are seeing a little bit of uh, mix up, particularly at this time of year, is between vaccines, particularly flu vaccines and COVID vaccines. There's assumptions being made by patients sometimes. And so again, we would always encourage a pharmacist as the last thing they do before they vaccinate somebody is say something along the lines of, as part of my final check before I vaccinate you, can you please confirm what vaccine do you expect today? If you pose an open question like that to a patient and force them to answer, it'll clearly uh, explain and, and define what they're, they're expecting. Often we have situations where patients make bookings online for a COVID vaccine or a flu vaccine or a particular brand of COVID vaccine. And there's assumptions based on those online bookings that the pharmacy knows exactly what the patient wants. And even if the pharmacist says something different, uh, the patient might not hear it clearly or just accept that the patient, uh, accept that the pharmacist knows what they want. So please, uh, I would always encourage pharmacists to use those open questions to confirm identities in any situation and confirm expectations when it comes to vaccination. Thank you. What are some of the issues um, that pharmacists are facing with the vaccinations and errors? Well, apart from, you know, firstly, you know, confirming that um, the, the right vaccine is the one being administered, uh, we're still seeing situations where the AIR is not being checked appropriately before vaccination. Again, it might seem inconvenient for pharmacists or pharmacy staff to do that, but the AIR is the source of truth. And quite a few errors that we are receiving uh, of the wrong vaccine being administered at the wrong time could be prevented by uh, checking of the AIR beforehand. So uh, again, 
is just having good processes in place, being very clear to the patient you, that you ask them open questions about what they expect, uh, and make sure that your staff have good process that's done consistently every single time, so that um, when there's online bookings or walk-ins, the AIR is always checked and uh, there's always confirmation. Apart from that, um, occasionally, uh, you know, not very often, but um, we do see uh, a few uh, shoulder injury reports uh, every year. And this is not just unique for pharmacists, it happens with nurses and doctors as well. Again, it's just a reminder about being um, diligent and consistent with technique. Again, sometimes if pharmacists might be in a rush um, and might be sort of in positioned incorrectly for a patient or a patient is um, lifting a sleeve up um, or pulling a sleeve down, sometimes you just got to stop and think, hang on, that's probably not ideal. We need to reset. If that means that, you know, it's really not appropriate to do it at that time, you know, explain to the patient that you'd be happy to fit them in at another time when it's more convenient, where they can wear something that gives good access to the vaccination area. Please don't sort of be pushed or bullied um, to vaccinate in situations where you're uncomfortable. Um, and so it's not very often, but we would remind pharmacists to always think about reviewing their vaccine technique, particularly when they start a new round of um, you know, high volumes of vaccinations. Um, and also maybe just even thinking about role-playing within the pharmacy uh, an anaphylactic episode so that all staff members know if there is an anaphylaxis, who's going to be assisting the pharmacist uh, with uh, any sort of uh, adrenaline and CPR, who's going to be calling the ambulance, who's going to be directing the other patients away uh, and managing the situation. Um, you know, who, who checks the adrenaline that's on hand, that the post is oral in place that gives the right doses for all individuals. Um, and so sometimes we assume that if it comes to that rare event, we'll be okay, but maybe a role play as part of a staff training exercise, given that we're doing lots of vaccinations at the moment, might be a good idea and a refresher as well. So that would be some of the vaccination points I think we'd, we'd like to see, um, see pharmacists think about. What issues are young pharmacists in particular experiencing that are unique to them? Um, I think, you know, there's everybody in pharmacy experiences the same things, but I think sometimes older, more experienced pharmacists might um, be able to handle uh, situations a little differently. Um, young pharmacists sometimes may be a little bit more swayed uh, by pressure being applied. Um, and unfortunately, we do have reports of young female pharmacists, particularly, who seem to be targeted by certain people um, with demands and, and threatening behaviour. Uh, and it's very difficult in those sort of situations. I think um, uh, decision making by young pharmacists sometimes may not be as well informed as people who've been in the profession a little bit longer. I'd really encourage younger pharmacists to think about what are all the consequences of the decision. If I do provide this medicine early as demanded by the patient, um, you know, can I be satisfied that it's not going to be used to, to um, be diverted or misused by the patient? Um, you know, sometimes just stepping back a little bit and thinking, well, you know, I might be prepared to help you out by giving you two days supply early uh, until I can speak to the prescriber rather than giving you the whole month's supply of this antidepressant or this pain reliever. So I think sometimes decision making by younger pharmacists uh, with a, a little less experience um, uh, can be really quite challenging. I'd really encourage young pharmacists to align themselves with more experienced pharmacists and a mentor, uh, you know, um, somebody they've worked with in the past and and really establish some sort of relationship like that so they can actually uh, talk to somebody else who's got a bit more experience about what they might do. Um, 
don't be pressured into doing something you feel uncomfortable about. If your gut says you're not comfortable about it, listen to your gut, think about alternatives. Sometimes saying, I'm sorry, I can't help you, but you know there is another pharmacy down the road is the most sensible and safest decision um, because while they might be unhappy with your um, redirection, uh, if there is a complaint laid against you, it's much easier to defend that on clinical and safety grounds as opposed to you trying to explain to a regulator why you actually um, uh, relented to somebody's demands and supplied a medicine that might have had a consequence or could have been dangerous or diverted. So sometimes think about stepping back, what are the consequences, and maybe um, just taking a, a little bit more time instead of making instant decisions. My final question for you. Do you have any sentiments that you want to share with pharmacists um, at such a time of upheaval and challenge and change? Uh, I'm an older pharmacist, um, if you weren't aware, Carleen. So the the profession is always changing. It's never stationary. It's never stable. It's always got a challenge uh, appearing over the horizon. I would just encourage all pharmacists, but particularly early career pharmacists, to remain engaged with the profession. Engage yourself with the the representative organisations. Align yourself with good people and good mentors. Utilise the the advice and guidance that's available from organisations like PDL, PSA, uh, the Guild SHPA. We all want to see the profession uh, expand and um, go forward, uh, but remain engaged. For those people who are really under stress and and pressure at the moment and really um, concerned, you know, we can help to a degree. There's other great organisations like the Pharmacist Support Service. Um, like um, um, Faye mentioned the other day, it's a, a fantastic service, the PSS. Um, if you are feeling um, uh, that you need to speak to somebody in a confidential and supportive manner, and I just um, reiterate the number is 1300 244 The Pharmacist Support Service is a great organisation and another resource that pharmacists can utilise if they need to. So remain engaged. Uh, um, align yourself with good people and take advantage of what is still a a great profession with a lot of opportunity in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, Carleen. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You've been amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care, Carleen. Take care. See ya. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.